would, open your Bibles with me to the book of James, chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 14 through 26. And as you're turning there, our core kids are dismissed. James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 14 to 26. And if we can, if you're able to stand with me to read the word of God, that's greatly appreciated. We do that in reverence. Verse 14, when you got it, say so. And it says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me, your work, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works, faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your truth. And we thank you so much for the very privilege that it is to be in your presence. We thank you again for the breath that is in our lungs today. With which we can worship, we can adore, and we can honor you. But Lord, not only that, but we are able here, Lord God, to hear your word. And so we pray, Spirit of the Lord, that you would open our ears, that we would hear what you are saying to your church. Pray that we would not be hearers only, but that we would be doers of it. Let us respond in faith, Lord God. May you be glorified in these next few moments that we are together. And we pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said? You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will get you an outline. As always, um, I always want to encourage you to utilize the, the outline. You're able to follow along with me as I go through the beginning of the sermon. You're able to take notes. You're able to answer some very important questions. And so I encourage you to do that. And also, it's a tool that you can use to help someone else grow in their faith as you are hopefully paying attention and growing in your faith. Just keep your hand up and the ushers will get it, get it to you. Um, 
But as you're growing in your faith, you can help someone else grow in their faith as well. Just simply talk, talking to them about what you are learning, um, talking to them about what it is that you are experiencing, and you can you know, help them to understand the scriptures a little bit better. So that's very important for me. Also, for those of you that are following along in our Bible reading challenge, today is day 155 of the Bible reading challenge. We are reading the book of Genesis to Revelation, reading three chapters a day. Um, uh, hopefully, we'll finish the, the, the Bible in a year. If you're following along we are in Job chapter 25 and 20 through 27 today and so I haven't gotten videos in like the last two weeks but I am reading and so my faith has been being challenged as I'm reading through the book of Job I'm being encouraged and we're getting to uh, we're getting closer to my most uh, excited part when God responds that's such an amazing part I'll be sure to share a video on that part but um, it's just a beautiful response that the Lord gives a powerful response to Job and so today we are here in our Testify series, and so we are working, uh, we're, we're walking through the book of James together for those of you that are guests with us, and so we are in chapter two. We've already dealt with chapters one and the first half of chapter two, and so today we're going to talk about working faith, working faith. We want to deal with that. So if you look at your outline here, I think, it, I think we must all ask ourselves a most important question, and that is, does my faith work? I would say that I think that that's really important for you to ask. As a person who calls himself a person of faith, we need to ask, does my faith work? Is my faith working? Is, is, is my faith, you know, we, we can measure faith by different things or whatever, but what I want you to see is that the scriptures give us a way to measure if our faith is working or not. The scriptures give us a way to see what working faith looks like and what non-working faith looks like. This chapter stands beside, this in your paragraph there, stands beside the challenge of being hearers of the word and not doers, uh, not doers alone, and it should be a sobering call for our, our our introspection and so it's important that we look internally as we look at the scriptures right that we don't just read them casually that we don't just hear them passively but that we are actively engaged in what God is communicating to us through the scriptures and so again we ask ourselves is our faith working second paragraph Christianity in its truest sense is about a relationship with God through the sacrifice of Christ and a life empowered by the Spirit and so if our lives are not reflecting this that is the born again experience we must come to repentance and a working faith in Jesus when, when, when we talk about this word being born again, right, I don't know that we emphasize this enough in our churches today, and I know I, I would say that I, I would probably fall short. I don't mention it enough or ex emphasize it enough, but the Bible calls us to be born again, meaning that we have new life. And what, what happens is when I have new life, when I have new energy, it's kind of like Somebody who goes to bed, and just think about it this way, you fall asleep exhausted the night before. You have no more energy to do anything because, I mean, you literally just pass out, right? And then, then you know, you sleep eight hours or however long, and you wake up the next day, and you are invigorated, right? Hopefully, you slept long enough, you slept well, and you wake up the next day. You're not walking around like a zombie, are you? No, you have new life. You're ready to uh, confront the challenges that are before you. And so when a person is born again, you have new life so that means you have new desires you have new appetites there are new things that you should be pursuing and old things that you should no longer be pursuing and so when I'm asking you to think about the question is your faith working I want you to think about this are you living as though you are born again 
Are you living as though you have new life in you? And so if you're not, then you come to repentance and you call upon the Lord. Last paragraph here. As believers, we must heed the warnings of Scripture that call us to a higher life of holiness, love, and full devotion to Jesus. We must heed the Scriptures. We have to look at what the Scriptures are saying, and we have to to, to respond to them, right? If you look in the front of the pulpit here, uh, it says what? Truth requires a response. Why? Because we have to respond to the truth of God. We have to be responding. It's not just people that are hearing what the Scriptures say. And so, if you've been through our Vision Carrier Orientation, which is our membership class, what you will know is that the vision of our church is to please God. Hebrews 11.6, but without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And those who come to Him must come to Him believing that He is a, believing that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And so without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And so the only way that we can please God again is through what? It's through faith. But when I say faith, I want you to understand this is living faith. This is saving faith. This is working faith. It's not just a confession or a proclamation. It's not just some mental assent to some truth, but it is a living and active faith. And so this portion of James will help us understand what God-pleasing faith looks like. And so that's what we're going to look at in these chapters, in, in this chapter here. And so before I get to the big idea, we have a memory verse. Hello, somebody. Forgot about that. Hello. Memory verse. Right, we have a memory verse, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and so we're going to say it together, and it says this, 1, 2, 3, my brethren, say it with me, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We'll say it again, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now you got it, ready? My brethren, count it all joy. Come on now. <laughs> all right, y'all just go through it three times. By the third time, it's just rolling off your tongue, all right? Let's say it last time together, ready? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience but let patience have its perfect work that you may be complete and perfect perfect and complete y'all confusing me i can't look at y'all when i'm saying it because y'all are like bumping there. your lips are going different places so that y'all messing me up man let's say it a fourth time i'm just kidding we're good to go we'll end on that note but you got to memorize the verse right this is the this is the heart of the book of James, right? It's about us going through trials of faith. It's about us experiencing the trials of our lives and walking through them and our lives testifying to who God is, to what God has done in our lives. And, and it's testifying to our faith in different areas. And so today, we're going to look at a working faith. And here's the big idea that I want you to get. Working faith testifies to saving faith, but works don't save us. This is very, very important for you to get this. Working faith testifies to saving faith, but works don't save us. And so the, I, I say this because as we walk through James, I told you um, when we first got into the book of James that James almost didn't make it in the canon of Scripture. 
When the reason is because when you read the Apostle Paul's writings, especially the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul is arguing that we are saved by faith alone. He is, he is arguing that. He argues that in Galatians. He argues that in Romans. You see, it, you see it through all of the epistles that he writes. And then James comes along, and right here in these verses that we're looking at, he begins to say something that sounds contradictory to what the Apostle Paul was saying. I want to assure you he is not contradicting the Apostle Paul, and we'll confirm that later on. But what I want you to realize is this, is that in, the, in this big idea, working faith testifies to saving faith. Right? So if your faith is not working, the issue is not that you, the issue has to be this, it is that you are lacking real faith. Hear me. As we look at this scripture, there should be, there should be a serious weight of conviction that comes upon our hearts as we start to consider what it is that James is trying to call the church to look at. And so I want you to get this, but what I don't want you to confuse is in any way, shape, or form that James or myself is trying to say that works save us. Because works do not save us. You cannot work your way into heaven no matter what you do. You can never be good enough. Are you here? You may be good enough for, you, you may think you're good enough. Maybe you can recollect five minutes of your life, maybe five hours of your life. Maybe, I don't know, a day of your life that you thought that you were perfect. Now, now, now listen, you may be able to do that. I don't know. I can't do that. But you may. You may be better than me. I don't, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that I'm any better than anyone. So you may be able to go back to that day, right? And, and, I, and I can go back and I can think of some days that seem pretty good. I can go back and I look at days like, man, I, I was knocking it out the park, man. I was an amazing husband. I was an amazing dad. I, I preached an amazing message. I mean, I can go back to those days, you know. I did some great counseling. You know, I prayed that day. I was in the Word that day. I had my memory verses flowing that day. I mean, I can go back to some days like that, right? But what I do know is this, is that if I stood myself before, before the presence of God in that perfect day, I would see that my perfection pales in comparison to his. I would see that my purity would pale in comparison to his purity. I would see that everything that I thought was so amazing in his holiness, not because he's trying to criticize, but it's like, you know, looking at, we talked about the white shirt. It's like that shirt that is blazingly white, but it's got that one mark of something on it. That's the way that our lives would be before God. The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. Hence, our works can never save us. But the truth is that if I have have faith in God, then I will do what? I will automatically bear forth fruit. I will automatically bring forth works that affirm or testify to what? That I'm saved. And so here's what we have to do. What we have to do is we have to look at our works. We have to look at what we are doing or what we are not doing. And, and, I, and I want you to think about this because there's two sides to this token. There's the one side of the token of things that we are doing that are totally against God. Things that we are doing that are opposed to God. Those are evil works. Those are sinful works. Those are things that dishonor him to his face. But then there's another side of this token when we look at our works. And, it, and, and these are the things that we are not doing that God calls us to do which are equally sinful, which are equally disobedient. It is the equivalent in, in a lower level of when your parent tells you to go do something and you decide, I'm just not going to do it because I don't feel like doing it. And that would be disrespectful on any level because what? Because your parents are the law. What your parents say goes, that's what you're called to do. And, or that's what they're asking you to do, therefore you should do that. It is the same thing with your God. 
When God tells us to do something and we don't do it, what we are doing is we are acting like whatever age group you want to call them. who decides I'm not going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to act like a spoiled whatever age group that is. And I'm just, I, don't, I don't care about what God says. That's what we're doing. Realize this. And so when we look at our works, we have to look at our lives. We have to look wholly at what the scriptures teach us. And so the first thing I want to say is this, and I ask you to repeat this after me. Say, claiming faith, claiming faith doesn't, work. doesn't work. Claiming faith doesn't work. A claiming faith. What do I mean by that? Look at verses 14 to 17. He says, what does it profit, my brethren? If someone says he has faith, that's where we get the claiming from. If someone says he has faith but does not have works. Question, what does is, what, what is it profit? What, what benefit is there? That's what he's saying. And so the second part of the question is, can faith save him? So the first thing he says, what profit is it if someone says they have faith but don't have works? And then the second part of the question is, can faith save him? And so what James is talking about is a person who claims faith, a person who says they have faith. When I thought about this, these are two rhetorical questions that he's asking there. In other words, he's not looking for an answer. He is posing a question that answers itself. And then he answered, and, but then he doesn't just ask one rhetorical question, he asks a second one. And so when I looked at that, I thought about the nail in the coffin. I mean, just like this, this, this sealed the questioning that he starts out with here. And when I was younger, and I, and I realized this, I did some math 24 years ago. Some of y'all aren't even 24 years old. 24 years ago, when I, was, when I was like 16, 17 years old, I, I remember that I used to frame houses. And so I, I framed houses, and framing houses, you know, young guys, every young guy in here can, I would hope every young guy can attest to this, because this is really manly what I'm about to say. Um, <laughs> but, you know, young dudes, they want to challenge everyone. Like, you know, when you're a guy, you are a guy, right? Like, you know. I want to beat my chest right now, but I'm not. But anyway, you know, like, I mean, that's like, that, that's like guy stuff. Like, you know, you, you see, like, there, I'll give you an example. You know, there was this one guy, he was, he was an older guy. He was probably my age, you know, how old I am now. And, you know, he was, he was, he was there, and um, he was very experienced. And I remember watching him. He would grab, no lie, he would grab, like, 10 two-by-fours at once and pick them up from, uh, in a stack and then walk them. And I was like, dude, I'm going to grab 15 two-by-fours. My arms aren't even long enough to grab 15 two-by-fours, okay? But I'm like, literally, I mean, I'm there. And so that's the kind of stuff, you know, that we were always, you know, always trying to challenge one another. And so I remember learning how to do, you know, this nail. And I don't know if this is, you know, I don't know if this is in a movie or not, but um, what I remember doing is, was this, is that you would learn how to take the nail because we, we would frame the house. So framing the house is building the interior walls of the house. And so when you're building the interior walls, you know, nails is how you, how you put them together. Well, you have two different, you know, groups there, right? You have the ones that have money and you have the group that really ain't got no money. Well, I was part of the group that really didn't have no money. All right, as builders. And so the group that had money, they had these air guns and they had these compressors and they were there just blah, 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 blah. And it was, you know, they were quick. But for us, we didn't have that. So our compression was right here. Hello, somebody. Right? So what we learned to do was we learned to be fast. And so you would get the nail, you would do one hit, boom, get the nail there, and then one more hit and nail that nail all the way through. And so we would, we would have um, contests to see who could frame the walls the fastest. So you would go tack, 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 and then whap, tack, 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 and we walk the wall like that. And so what James does, I just wanted to let y'all know that I was very you know, competitive <laughs> as a young person. But what James does, I, I, that, that's not why I was trying to draw a picture for you, and I, I got excited in the story. But anyway, what, what James does here is James does something similar. He is, he is nailing something in, and he's driving it home. And he's like, listen, what does it profit? 
And I want you to hear that question because he's asking us, the Spirit of the Lord is asking us, what does it profit? So he's getting it ready, right? He's setting it up and that way he can drive this thing home. What does it profit for someone to say they have faith but don't have works? Question mark. The nail is ready. And then he slams it home and he says, can faith save? Can faith save him? And he just pauses. And then think about that. Claiming faith doesn't work. He goes on to drive, to drive the point home further in verse 15. He says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Notice the question. Two questions. One of them, what does it profit? That's how he starts the first question. What does it profit for someone to say they have faith and don't have works? Question mark. Can faith save? And then he says, and if someone is, is, is naked or without food, and then he goes through all of this, he ends it with saying, what what does it profit and so what he's doing here is he's giving us a practical application to show us how clearly what how clearly it looks for someone to claim faith but not have works to accompany that faith and what does he do he drives home he drives it home with this picture of a practical way that that we are supposed to obey but here's what I what I don't what I don't want you to do I don't want you to think that the focus or point of this part of the passage is on feeding someone who's hungry and clothing someone who's naked because our problem in our culture today is that we get caught up in what we need to do as far as being good and we forget about what James's whole point is in the text He's using that as a point. He already drove home how we're supposed to be at the end of chapter 1. Y'all remember that, right? When he talked about pure and undefiled religion is what? That we visit orphans and widows in their distress and that we, may, that we remain unstained from the world. That is where the application was of how we're supposed to live. And so there is no question we should be doing good works, but that is not the point he's trying to make here. What he is trying to make here is he's saying if someone comes to you naked and you tell them, hey, man, I hope you find some clothing, you did nothing to benefit them. If someone comes to you and said, hey, man, I'm starving, you say, man, I hope you find something to eat. You did nothing for them. You, you, listen, you, you tell them, hey, God bless you. Go in peace. Be warmed and be filled. Listen, your words meant nothing. It profited them no way at all. And then what does he say in verse 17? He says in verse 17, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's dead faith. Claiming faith alone is dead faith. And so James gives us the understanding that we must at all costs fight against what? We must fight against dead faith. What is dead faith? Dead faith is the idea that if you say something, that makes it genuine. If you say you have faith, that means you have faith. Oh, well, hey, I have faith. I'm saying I have faith, right? We're going to talk a little bit more about that. But if I say I have faith, then it must be real. Listen, if someone is coming to buy something from you and they go and hand you a $100 bill, are you just going to just accept it on face value that that's a $100 bill or are you going to test it? I would hope that you were going to test it. Especially for those of y'all that be selling stuff on Facebook and selling stuff, you know, all over the place. Make sure you test them big bills. Hello. I'm just saying, because there's a reason why there's a tester, because there's fake ones. Hello, somebody. And it's the same thing for us in the church. We can't just say, well, hey, man, you walk in the door, you look like a Christian. Oh, well, everybody looks like a Christian, especially today. It's casual Sunday, so we, really, we all look real Christian or not. I don't know. 
Depends on what your depiction of, you know. Some people walk into a church, they think everybody's got to wear a suit and tie, and so that's Christian. I don't know. Jeans, T-shirts, that's not Christian. I don't know. But anyway, here's the deal. What I want you to, what I want you to understand is that we measure, we, we measure things, right, based on what we think is, 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 is real, and, and there's a better way to measure, right? Like I can, you know, I, I can look at the $100 bill, and I can look it up in the air, and I can do what? I can take a $100 bill, and I can say, well, you know what? There, there's a $100 bill to me. It feels kind of like a $100 bill, and I can walk away and say it's a $100 bill, right? I, I can do that. Anybody got a $100 bill here, by the way? I'd love to test it, you know? I'll go spend it, and then, you know, let you know if it works. <laughs> But here's the thing, right? So I can do that, but then I can also look up here and I can see, oh, you know, there's this little line that says something that's authenticated there. And then I can, if I, if I, if I decide I don't want to do that, well, I can go ahead and I can get this, this pen that does what? It tells me if it's genuine. I don't just take someone's word for it just because someone hands it to me. And it becomes the same thing for us on a greater level for our faith. For our faith. Stop judging the person to your left and to your right. Our faith. Looking in the mirror and looking at our faith. Am I a person who is just claiming faith? Or am I a person who really has faith that's accompanied by works? We have to fight against that. Because here's the thing. We've all heard this said. I mean, if you're a parent in here, I'm sure you've said this unless you just have an amazing child like I was. I'm just kidding. I was a good construction worker. I was not a great son, uh, you know, a great child. My mom will tell you. I got to an age and I heard a lot of times, actions speak louder than words. Because, you know, I was Mr. Mom, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Mom, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Because I wanted something. But I wasn't really sorry. I was sorry I couldn't get what I wanted to get. Hello. I was sorry I couldn't do what I wanted to do. That's all it was. It wasn't a genuine repentance. And so here's what we have to ask. We have to ask, are my works speaking louder than my words when it comes to my claims of faith? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say confessional faith, confessional faith. Doesn't, work. doesn't work. Confessional faith doesn't work. Look at verses 18 through 19. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So what does he? So what does James say here? So, so I think this is called a diatribe here, and basically what it is is he is thinking about the questions that are going to arise from the people who he's speaking to. And so what he does, as any good preacher would do, is when you sit down and you're communicating, you're going to think about what questions am I going to need to answer to help the person that I'm speaking to or the people that I'm speaking to get to the place where they can stop rejecting the truth that I'm trying to bring to them. And so what he does, he sees the question, and he says, but someone, because here's the thing, he's, he's, he's dealing with, remember, he's dealing with the Jewish believers, we know that from the beginning, so he's dealing with Jewish Christians who have been told about living by faith alone, right? And so now, what he's saying is, someone's going to say, well, I have faith, you have works. And then James' response is, well, you show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. That's his response. His response is not, okay, that's cool, you have faith, I'm going to leave you alone. You know why he doesn't leave them there? Because he loves them. Because he cares about them. Listen to me. If you care about someone, you are not going to leave them in their deception. It would be better to lose a friend here than to lose them for eternity. Are you hearing me? 
It'll be better to destroy a relationship because you called the faith of someone into question than for you to go ahead and just live your whole life. And at the end of the day, that person dies and goes to hell because what? You couldn't have a real conversation with them. So James has this real conversation with these people. And let me tell you something. Confessional faith, this is the hard kind of faith to get away from. This is, this is the most deceiving and tricky kind of faith. You want to know why? Because this is the creed knowing faith. See, some of you are too young to know what creeds are. Some of you never even heard of a creed other than the cologne. But here's what I want you to understand. Back in the days, there was something that folks used to do, the old school. They used to have a part in their service. It was called the creed declaration time, right? And what did they do? They would declare the creed. And so most of you don't even realize, but you know a creed because we sing one. So, you know, I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ our Son. That's a creed. That's a creed. And so what it was, it's the Apostles' Creed is what it's called. And so many churches would declare these creeds. And so they would say, I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ our Son. I believe in, you know, the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. And so what is this creed doing? This creed is solidifying. It is bringing to, to bear on your mind that we believe in the triune God. That we believe in certain things. That, that that's what unifies us. This is that kind of faith. How do I know that? Because the next verse that we see here, when he says there in verse 18, but some of you will, I'm sorry, verse 19, he says, you believe there is one God. You know what he was talking about? He was talking about a creed. What, is he, what, what, what creed is he talking about there? He's going back to when, you remember when Jesus was asked a question in Mark chapter 12, he said, he, he was asked a question by the scribe. So what is the greatest commandment of all? How did Jesus start off his answer? He said, there is one God, and, and he said, there is one God. And then when he goes from that, there is one God, he goes into the whole thing and that we are supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. Well, he was quoting what? He was quoting the Shema from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, which was a prayer that all of the devout Jews used to pray and so they would pray that prayer every day and they would start off one there is one God one father you know so they would pray this prayer and so what James is saying listen you believe there's one God you do well he doesn't deny that that's a good thing and that's an important thing but you know what he does he slaps him in the face and says even demons believe and tremble demons believe in one God you know why because they know they believe in one God. They, so, so, so what he's saying is, and this was going to be my point, but I decided not to just say it like that. But I was going to say demonic faith doesn't work. Hello. Because what James does is he brings that down to the same level as demonic faith. You see, this faith is really difficult because not only is it the creed knowing faith, but it's the song remembering faith. You know that favorite song, you come to church and you hear that song and that song just moved you and you're singing that song all week and you feel real Christian all week long every time you hear that song. You know that faith, right? You know, that, that, that faith that knows some Christian stuff. You know, this is the type of faith, this, this, this is the type of faith that is the dress your best, you know, unless you're coming here, um, you know, dress your best on Sundays. I'm not saying y'all don't look good, you know what I mean. But it's the dress your best, you know, the dress your best on Sunday kind of faith. That's the kind of faith that you know how to act when you get around Christian people. You know what not to say. You know when you pull in that parking lot, you turn down that music you were listening to on the way, hello somebody. You know when you, 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 don't, you don't talk like that. That's that kind of faith. That it's, see, it's hypocritical faith is what it is. But it's that faith. Here's the one that is my favorite by far. And what I mean by my favorite is the one that fears, it's the one that brings the greatest fear in my heart. It's the I fear God faith. Oh, yes, I fear you know, the man upstairs. You know, I, I fear him. You fear him, really. But you do all kind of stuff that is opposed to his word. You live in, in total contradiction to him. You do not fear him. You know who he is. Maybe. 
You've heard about him. You know he exists. You may realize that you breathe because he allows you to breathe, but you don't fear him because fear causes you to act a different way. I remember, you know, since I'm telling stories about myself, I remember being a child, and I knew, man, I knew I was going to get beat for some stuff. Hello. And that caused me not to do some things. But there were moments in my life when I forgot my mom was coming home. Hello, somebody. And I, and, and I recall one day, you know, I thought I was the karate kid as a, as a young man, and my, my, one of my brothers, my, my third brother, you know, he's like three years younger than me or something like that or two years younger than me. And for some reason, you know, older brothers, so I just want to apologize for all of the younger brothers and sisters in the room that you may have had an older brother that was a jerk. I'm very sorry for them, um, you know, because they didn't, they didn't mean it. They just were ignorant. But nonetheless... In my ignorance, you know, my brother and I were wrestling, and so I don't know what got into me, but I decided to kick my brother in his face. And it wasn't like a play around kick. It was like a karate. I mean, I was like, I, I'm t- I thought I was the karate kid. I kicked my brother. And it's, and it's no lie. He was walking. He, I, I remember this like if I was standing there today. He was walking from that side of this. It was my bed, um, you know. He's walking this way down, and I was, like, right at the end. And so I threw this kick up, and he was, like, right there. And I kicked him right in the mouth. Boom. And as soon as my brother, he went like that, suddenly something changed inside of me. Because this fear came over me, and I was like, I am about to get beat. But I forgot that my mom was coming home. At that moment, I was he-man, and I was like, you know, I thought I was the man, right? And as soon as my brother dropped off there, ran into the bathroom, I was at the door. Nathan, Nathan, open the door, please. Come on, bro. Bro, I love you, bro. Please, I'm sorry. I mean, I was like, it was because I forgot that there was a consequence for that kind of action. I mean, I begged him, and I was like, my mom took forever to come home. It was the longest, torturous, like 30 minutes ever. I was like, you just walk in and beat me already. But, you know, the reality is when you think about this fear, right, What happens to many people is that they say they fear God because they know about him or they've heard about him. And they say they have this fear of him, but they have forgotten that he is there. They have forgotten that there are consequences for those who rebel against him. But it's deceiving because you think, hey, man, I confess, you know, like I I know him. James shows us that it's not like that. Demons believe the truth about God and tremble, yet live in rebellion. And listen to what happens. James makes it clear that this can be so within the visible church. Are you here? There can be people here. I believe in God. Yeah, really, do, you, do you really believe in him? We can believe the right things and still be wicked. We must ensure that our confession of truth becomes our possession of truth. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say conforming faith. Is the only faith that works. I'm going to do this in three minutes. I don't know how, but we're going to do it. Um, Verse 20 to 26, and this is what it says here. It says, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified? You need to think about that word justified. By works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he, called, he was called the friend of God. I want you to notice something. 
When you look at the, the, the action that is being described in verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? This happens after the things that are, are being described in verse 23 when it says that Abraham believed God. And so what he is communicating is he's saying his action is what confirmed his faith. His work is what confirmed his faith. So this is what I want you to understand. This is why there is no contradiction between what, what Paul is saying and what James is saying. Because what James is simply communicating is he's saying, listen, God declared Abraham a man of faith before Abraham did anything. But his faith wasn't confirmed until after he did what God asked him to do that's what he's communicating but here's the question that, I, that, that, that you see when, when when you think about this 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 confessional faith this 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 um this this, this um claiming faith those are faith that are false faith conforming faith not confirming faith conforming faith is a faith that is a active faith it is a living faith it is a life changing type of faith and so my question i already answered this for you is 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 is, is there a contradiction no but here's the other question that i want you to get what justifies us is it our works or is it our faith what is it that justifies us? When we look at the word justify, what does justify mean? It means to make us right before God. When we look at the word saved, we know that this scripture is speaking about salvation. Now, please, if you tune me out, you need to tune me back in because I need you to hear this. This scripture is clearly, there's people that try to water this down and say, no, James is not talking about saving faith. Go back to verse 14, please, and look at what it says. He says there, can faith save him? It is crystal clear of what James is talking about. He is making a, a, a declaration. Faith cannot save someone if it is not accompanied by works. Now, remember what I said earlier, the big idea. Working faith testifies to saving faith. Works don't save us. What I need you to get is this. And here, and here I'm going to read this long statement, but I want you to hear what I'm going to say. One of the greatest lies the enemy has been successful in bringing into the church is that our works do not really matter because once we are saved, that is irrevocable. Listen to me. When you read the Bible, you need to get this. Faith and works can never and must never be divorced because the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible never separates them. When Paul is arguing about our faith being a, a, what saves us and he's saying it's not works that saves us, what Paul is trying to communicate is he is saying you cannot depend upon your works to save you because they're not good enough. That's what he's saying. But never does the Bible divorce works from faith. Let me put it to you like this. I, I, I mean, let me finish the thought here that I wrote down. Here's, here's what I want you to understand. When you divorce faith and works, you come out with two types of Christians. One is a legalist. The other one is a liberal. Because you have one like the one in the book of Galatians who is the legalist who is trying to hold on to, man, I'm saved because of my circumcision. I'm saved because of my good works. That is a legalist Christian. And then you have the liberal Christian, the one that James is talking to here that says, hey, man, I just have to have faith. I just have to claim it. I just have to confess it. And that's it. And James is like, no, we're supposed to be conforming Christians. We're supposed to be those whose lives are doing what? They are actively engaged in the discipleship process. Lives that are doing what God has called us to do. And what I want you to realize is this. Hear this one. Faith alone will bring salvation to anyone. But saving faith does not come alone. Did you hear me? 
And so I say this because what I realize is that you have many people who are sitting in churches thinking because I said a prayer one day, thinking because I got baptized in water someday, thinking because I'm a member of a church, thinking because I give to the church, thinking all kind of stuff because that is what I've done, that I'm okay with God. Listen, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Faith saves us. But if your works don't show that you are saved, you need to question if you really have faith. Did you hear that? If your works do not confirm your faith, it's not that your works save you. Your works are saying your life is wicked and you lack faith. Listen, if we're not demonstrating a conforming faith, we have to ask ourselves the question, why? You don't need to go into condemnation mode because you hear a message like this, you start feeling condemned. You start to feel like, oh my goodness, man, you know, I, man, I'm... I'm you know, I, my, my life doesn't line up with the scriptures. And so are you gonna, I don't want you to feel condemned. I don't want you to feel like there's no hope. I don't want you to feel like, man, there, man I, there's nothing I can do. Someone already did something for you. But you have to ask yourself a question, why? Why is it that my faith isn't working? If you're being honest. And listen, I want you to know something. There's more than one person in this room right now who you're feeling the weight of that. You're like, man, my faith isn't working. My faith isn't a faith that is demonstrating that I'm saved. My faith isn't a faith that is showing that I honor, that I honor and glorify God. My faith, you're, not, you're not alone. I want you to know that. And I hope that you'll respond to God in this way. Why? Why is your faith not working? Is it because there's a lack of spiritual discipline? Let's just get real basic for a moment here. Is it because you don't pray? I mean, listen, if you don't pray and you don't read the Bible, guess what? You're never going to be looking like Jesus. You're not just going to will to look like Jesus. Oh, you know, I just want to look like Jesus. I want to look like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to think like Jesus. What would Jesus do? Listen, forget all that stuff. You become more like Christ by being in his presence. And if you're not in his presence, you're not going to become like him. I do not care how many YouTube videos you watch about Jesus. I don't care how many, you know, people you listen to. I, if you are not in the presence of God, you are not being changed by God. That's it. You have to be in his presence. But let's move a little bit further than that. Is there unaddressed sin in your life? Is there sin that is unexposed, that, that you have not confessed? Is there something that is secret that only you know about? Is that what's keeping you from growing in your faith? Is there, is there unforgiveness in your heart towards someone that's holding you back from growing in your faith? I mean, what is it that is holding you back? Is it insincerity in your walk? Maybe you're just not sincere with Jesus. Maybe you just come to church because you're dragged here. Hello. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the only reason that, you're, that, that you come to church. That's the only Because I have to, man. It's not, it's not because it's there. There's insincerity in your walk. Maybe, maybe, listen, maybe you follow Jesus just because you don't want to go to hell. That's not a sincere walk. That's slavery. Are you here? Oh, well, Jesus is my ticket out of hell. If I walk away, man, I'm going to hell, you know, so I don't want to go to hell. But you drudgingly follow him. God doesn't want slaves like that. He wants those bond servants. Is there insincerity in your walk with Jesus? Is there, may, hey, maybe there's a doubt of the existence of God. Maybe that's your struggle. Maybe you're looking at your life and you're like, man, all this hell around me, all this stuff I'm going through, there can't be a God. And if there is, he could care less about me. Listen, that's, the whole, that's what our whole memory verse is about. He cares about you. He's walking with you through everything that you're going through. He is there. And so here's what I want you to get, and I'm closing with this. I want you to get this, because you need, and, and, and you need to hear me when I say this. This is not just cliche a statement to close a sermon. I want you to know that no matter what it is that is holding you back 
from bearing fruit, from working the way that God calls you to work, no matter what that is, God's grace is greater. God's grace is greater. See, that's why I can't go over because they start bringing kids back in here. But we have to understand, don't worry about it. If you didn't hear it, don't matter. What we have to understand is that God's grace is greater. God's grace is greater than your insincerity. God's grace is greater than your lack of prayer. But you, but hear me when I say this. The move is yours. You have got to make a move. It's not, listen, it's not, it's not you waiting on God to make a move. I need you to understand something. God already made the move. He already moved towards you. In what? Well, the first thing that we know is that God gave, God the Father gave his only begotten son. So we understand with clarity of mind that God the Father made the move towards you. And we know that God the Son came, so he made the move. He did what? He submitted himself unto death on the cross so that he could die for your sins and my sin. His grace is greater. And God the Holy Spirit, where is he? He's here now. As what? The comforter, the counselor, the spirit of truth to guide you into all truth. And what does he do? He calls you not to stay in a place of dead faith, but to come to a place of living faith. But the only way that happens is if you make the move. You're the one that has to stand up. You're the one that has to say, God, my faith is dead. My faith is not working. My faith is not showing that I am truly a child of God. You've got to make that move. It's not God's move. It's on you to make the move. So my closing question is, which kind of faith do you have? Do you have a confessional faith? Do you have a claiming faith? What kind of faith do you have? Do you have a conforming faith? If you have a confessional faith and you know all the right stuff to do and all the right things to say, and that's as far as your faith goes, God calls you to repent today. Don't leave this place without turning from your sin. If you have a claiming faith, you know, a faith that just says, man, I know, you know, yeah, yeah, I have faith and, you know, I fear God, whatever. If you have that kind of faith, God calls you to repentance today. You got to move. You got to move. It's on you to move. So let's all stand to our feet. Stand off, you bow our heads. And listen, as I pray, when I talk about moving, man, I'm, I'm just talking about moving towards God in faith. I'm talking about calling upon him for real and saying, God, I don't want to live a dead faith anymore. I don't want to live a hypocritical faith anymore. I don't, I, I don't want to look at my life and, 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 and not, not see the works that bring you glory and honor. And I don't know what it is. You may be hurting. You may be broken. You may need healing in your heart. But I'm going to pray a general prayer. And so I want you to just receive from God what you need from him right now. Just open your heart to him. Humble yourself before him. Submit to him. Yield him. Call out to him as I pray. Bow your heads and let's pray together. Father God, right now in the name of Jesus. You see every person that is before me, God, that has heard your word come forward into their hearts. Lord God, you spoke as you desired, and so I know that you are doing in their hearts what you want to do. And so I trust your power and your ability. Lord God, you don't need my hands on them. You can put your hand upon them right now. For those that are hurting, those that are broken, those that have bitterness and unforgiveness in their heart, those, Lord God, who are struggling with sincerity in their walk, whatever it is, God, right now, reach down and uproot it, Lord God. Lord, break it in the name of Jesus. May they become men. May they become women. May they become people who bear fruit, Lord God, whose lives show forth the works of righteousness, Lord. Father, I pray today against condemnation. I pray today against fear and doubt, Lord God, that would hinder them from coming to you. But God, may they call upon you today and may you bring deliverance to their lives, Lord. We pray the power of your Holy Spirit and we ask you, Lord God, these things. 
Father, I pray for those in this place that are working for your glory and for your honor. Father, may we be those who bear good fruit always. Father, whatever it is that is hindering us from bearing more fruit, may you prune it from our lives. And may you help us to become more and more like you for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.